brand new week. Let's get it going on another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. How you doing? I'm Dirk Christensen. Hope you had a great weekend. Uh, it was kind of variably successful depending on what seat you had on uh, Friday, but uh, I guess we'll just have to get to that when we get to it. And Jason Jorgensen is looking at me with that jaundiced eye right now. So <laughs> sorry I brought that up. Kind of a sore subject at the moment. Depends on what side of the river you were on. I guess that is true. Yep. All right. Well, let's move on over and uh, let's find Susan Littlefield out there. Good morning, Susan. Well, good morning. What a beautiful day, except it's windy. Yeah, it is that. And uh, I guess we've got more drying than we might bargain for. We might. You know, I was just, you and I were just chatting before we went on the air. Just a reminder to folks, especially if you planted any evergreens or new trees this fall. I just got an email alert reminding folks to go out there and water them. So if you have some time over your lunch hour or maybe when you get home from work or when you have some free time, give them a drink because it's been so dry lately with lack of rain. And then let's just add this wind to it. They're pretty thirsty out there. Absolutely. Yep. On, on the living trees. And i, I got to say that even for those of you who have put out your, uh, spent the Thanksgiving holiday getting your Christmas tree up, you might want to make sure that that's got plenty of water underneath it, too. And as a fireman, I say thank you. Yes, yeah. All right. Yeah. Always make sure your tree is watered. Um, I have a friend who actually has a tree alarm on her phone. A tree alarm? Her. Yep. And it, says, it just says, water the tree. And every, she has a set reminder every day. So. Very nice. All right. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into our ag headlines today. And uh, you're talking a little bit about drones today? Yeah, coming up at 1245, um, the use of drones are becoming more and more a part of everyday farming life. And they're talking about a discussion that you can use drones before you apply nitrogen. So you're going to want to tune in at 1245 to hear more about that. But let's jump back to 1219. Calving workshops are coming up. Randy Saner will have an update on what you can expect and learn. And then at 117, I'll speak with the executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association. We are just a little over a month away from their annual meeting, expecting over 500 producers to be in attendance this year. So he'll talk more about that. Wow. All right. All coming up for you on midday. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Over to Jason we go and talk a little bit about sports. I guess we've got more to talk about than we might have had in a different season. Lots of speculation. Unfortunately, uh, again, after a three-year stint, Nebraska's looking for a new head football coach. A lot of signs and reports say that native son Scott Frost could be coming back to Nebraska to coach. Uh, Chris Fowler of ESPN put his neck out there last night on Twitter and said, yeah, it's a done deal. He's he's coming. Oh, yeah, he did that last night. Now, of course, even if he is coming... Uh, they wouldn't say anything after uh, Frost coaches Central Florida in their conference championship game mm-hmm. on Saturday. Also, speaking of coaching searches, they've had a couple of issues with the one in Tennessee. They thought they had a guy delivered, and then the fans said no, and the school backed off. And we will hear from Nebraska volleyball coach John Cook as the Lady Huskers earned a share of the conference championship on Saturday. Wow. The social media does carry its weight, doesn't it? It did in Tennessee, All that's right. for sure. Bob Brogan on business. U.S. stock indexes mostly lower in midday trading after traders return from the Thanksgiving holiday. Energy stocks, the biggest laggard today. Crude oil prices headed a little bit lower. And the U.S. Supreme Court is hearing a case about privacy in the digital age. We'll have a story on that. Is there any? (laughs) Not really. I wasn't aware of any. All right. All these stories and much more today on Midday. 
And now we get Paul Perkins to join us with a little bit of ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. And boy, you have anything but a cool one going on today. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, something we like to say in late November, record warm highs wow. in our forecast for today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that does come with a little bit of a, at least a risk of a price. Huh? Exactly, because uh, you know something's probably lurking in the weeds just around the corner. We do have some cooler temperatures on the way for the rest of the week, but still going to be mild for this time of year. Already into the 70s in northeast Colorado, currently at 77 at Holyoke, at 74 right now at Goodland. And it looks like in Nebraska, some low and mid-70s into the southern portion of the Panhandle. Most of south-central Nebraska and north-central Kansas right now, low to mid-60s, as warm as 67 at Kearney, but still most other readings in Nebraska in the mid to upper 50s. We are as warm as 69 right now at Thetford in the Nebraska Sandhills. Record warm highs in the 70s today. We could see some low 80s in the far southwest corner of Nebraska and, of course, on into northeast Colorado and northwest Kansas for today. Fire danger at near critical levels this afternoon due to the combination of low humidity and gusty winds. These warm conditions thanks to a dome of high pressure in place across the central plains. Strong north winds expected tonight with the passage of a cold front swinging south. Just a slight chance of rain with this front expected in the southeast, otherwise the dry passage of the front. Temperatures will be cooler, but still on the mild side for late November for tomorrow all the way through the weekend. A slow-moving low pressure system will track across the southern plains tomorrow night. That may bring a little light rain or sprinkles to Kansas. Better, better chances that far south, Kansas on into Oklahoma. Our first sign of a pattern change Expected to arrive on Sunday on the west coast with the low pressure trough digging into the western U.S. There is a chance of a storm system organizing across the central plains next week and tracking towards the east. Definitely stay up to date and we'll keep you posted on that. In our long-term forecast, temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas forecast to start warmer than normal this weekend and early next week. Temperatures should be closer to seasonal towards the middle of next week through December 10th. And for reference, in early December... Daytime highs in central Nebraska usually average in the low 40s, with overnight lows on average in the upper teens. So it will be more of a, a big switch as we head towards more seasonal temperatures by next week. Our pattern change reflected in the precipitation forecast. Above normal precipitation is the forecast in Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through December 10th, mainly later on next week. Weather factors driving the markets include rain expected for western Argentina crop areas and favorable moisture for central Brazil. Unusually mild weather will cover much of the U.S. the rest of the week. Cooler air should arrive in the far west over the weekend with that trough of low pressure digging in. Completely dry weather expected through the end of the week in much of the southern Atlantic and from southern California to the central and southern high plains. The dry and mild weather will help wrap up rain-delayed harvest in Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan. Soil moisture loss in wheat areas of the southern plains will continue to be a problem. Increase in stress to winter wheat likely over west and especially southwest wheat-growing areas. There is a chance of precipitation about 10 days out, but right now that's looking uncertain. Western crop areas of Argentina are under increasing concern for dryness. An increased chance of rain later this week will be closely watched for them. The rain pattern in central Brazil remains favorable for developing soybeans and first crop corn. Heavy rain in southern Brazil this past weekend likely going to lead to planting delays early this week, but drier conditions the rest of the week going to help out. Ag Weather This Hour brought to you by Coolman Repair. And uh, I guess this would be a good a day as any to make people <laughs> armed and uh, 
ready for the possibility of severe weather coming up. So we want to let people know about the smartphone app that we have. It's powered by our friends at Harker Road Motors. Uh, you can get uh, all kinds of weather on there, forecast, current weather. You get all of the all of the stuff that comes out watch and warning-wise. And, of course, uh, plenty of radar information for up to two dozen counties right here uh, across the heart of the KRB and listening area up there for apps. And you can get it wherever you get your iPhone or Android apps. If you don't know how to do that, just ask that young person. They have hundreds (laughs) of them, so they've gone through that. It's it's a very cool deal to have on your phone, and it's powered by Harker Road Motors of Imperial and Juanita. They are real people, real prices. And real fun. And that information free, too. Yeah, I'm sorry? That information free, too. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Courtesy of Harco Road. That's right. That's right. And, uh, of course, you get to pick the brain of of Paul Perkins on that, too. He posts all kinds of maps and stuff like that. When the weather does get a little bit dicey, you can get to it right on your smartphone there. You betcha. All right. And uh, we also want to remind you that uh, when you need weather just about any time. KRVN.com. Minister says no concessions in farm sector chorus discussions. I'm Shaylee Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. The South Korean trade minister says his country will not take a step backward in the upcoming discussions on updating the South Korean-U.S. free trade deal known as chorus. The Korean Herald says he told reporters that the government is taking a strong stand on the agriculture sector and will not retreat any further. This was similar to a comment made by the top Korean negotiator back in October that said the ag sector is a red line. The U.S. is looking to narrow the trade deficit in it currently faces in trade with South Korea. The trade minister said America is looking to export more goods from the auto and steel industries, but did say another option the U.S. may want is to export more farm goods. Over five years after the deal was first ratified, U.S. calls for re- renegotiation are worrying the South Korean ag sector that it might be undermined as the country is already dealing with product oversupply. A public hearing on November 10th in South Korea was interrupted by farmers demand the deal be ended. They were upset about government feasibility study that showed renegotiation would have little impact on the economy, saying it misrepresented the local ag economy. And the minimum wage for H-2A guest workers is likely to rise in several states during 2018. The National Ag Statistics Service surveys the prevailing wages of field and livestock workers in different regions across the country. The NAS calculations are normally adopted by the U.S. Department of Labor in December as the adverse effect wage rates for the coming year. The AEWR is above state minimum wages and is intended to prevent domestic wages from being impacted by an influx of foreign workers. For example, the new minimum wage for H-2A visa guest workers in Washington and Oregon will likely rise over 5% to 14.12 per hour. While the wage is higher, the region ranking slips from the highest minimum wage to the second highest in the nation. Hawaii is number one at 14.37 an hour. California's wage projected to rise almost 5% to 13.18. Idaho and Wyoming will likely drop three cents to 11.63. Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina are the top three states in the U.S. in terms of overall number of H-2A guest workers, with Washington and California rounding out the top five states. 
and an upcoming calving season workshop being hosted by Nebraska Extension could help producers just ahead of their busy season. Randy Sainer with Nebraska Extension talks about what will be covered. So we have Dr. Mortimer from CSU, Colorado State University, coming in. Um, he's going to talk about you know decision making, like when when do you want to jump in and assist a cow? You know how long do you wait? Some of those decision making things, and then also he'll talk about. You know, how to position calves if you're having a problem uh, birth, how to adjust it, how to go in and, and make sure the calf come in the right way. You know, when do we need to take her to the veterinarian? Dr. Mortimer's actually done a video from Lanco on how to save more calves at calving, and he's very um, thorough in, in his knowledge and calving. I've heard him talk at other workshops similar to this. He's excellent. So if you have people or employees that haven't had a lot of experience, get them there so they're ready during the calving season. Or if you're just a producer that's had some experience, he might give you some more tips on how to save more calves. More information on how to get registered for those workshops and all of our audio and video can be found at RuralRadio.com. With a quick check of your midday ag news, I'm Shaylee Peters and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Nebraska Extension will be hosting several workshops just ahead of calving season. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And here to visit with me today about that is Randy Sainer. He's an extension educator. And Randy, producers can take advantage of these workshops just ahead of one of their busiest times of the year with calving season just around the corner. Talk to us about what all will be involved with the workshops. So we have Dr. Mortimer from CSU, Colorado State University, coming in. Um, he's going to talk about you know decision making, like when when do you want to jump in and assist a cow? You know how long do you wait? Some of those decision making things, and then also he'll talk about you know how to position calves if you're having a problem uh, birth, how to adjust it, how to go in and, and make sure the calf come in the right way. You know when do we need to take her to the veterinarian? Dr. Mortimer's actually done a video Lanco on how to save more calves at calving, and he's very um, thorough in, in his knowledge and calving. I've heard him talk at other workshops similar to this. He's excellent. So if you have people or employees that haven't had a lot of experience, get them there so they're ready during the calving season. Or if you're just a producer that's had some experience, he might give you some more tips on how to save more calves. Now, for the important details, producers from all across the state can take advantage of these workshops. Give us the when and where. Right, so we start with December 11th at Bridgeport. That go, that's during the afternoon, and then the evening they go to Goodmanson at the Sandhills Ag Lab there at Whitman, and then there on the 12th we go to Broken Bow from 1 to 3, and then in the evening we go to O'Neill, 6.30 to 9 on the 12th, and then on the 13th we go to Kearney in the afternoon, and we end up um, with North Side in the evening at 30 to 9. And Randy, just a small registration fee, is that right? And what's the best way for them to go about getting registered? Yeah, it's $20 per person uh, to be paid at the door. So it's, it's, it's really reasonable, we think, um, for, what, for what you're getting. So, And you can send an email to any of your extension educators. Let them know. They can send it to us or you can send it directly. If you're coming to North Platte, you can send it to me also. But um, any, any of the educators should be able to send it to 
whoever needs to get the, the registration. Okay, and before we finish up, just a reminder, also you guys have your cost of production workshops. Two of those left, and they can still register for those. Give us some of the details there. Right, so um, we're looking at, so, so kind of the question is, do you manage your ranch as a business, and do you have the information you need to do so? In a lot of cases, um, we're just trying to help producers get their unit cost of production. So what is your cost per cow for you know 2018 so when you go into a bank you know all those things it's going to help you with the banker getting a loan faster plus when you know what your unit cost of production you know where you need to make changes if, if places are too high or too low it's a two-day course um, it's a little more expensive it's fifty dollars but you'll receive an excel spreadsheet template that you can help analyze the cost of production for your own operation um, and extension um, Aaron Berger and and uh, Bethany Johnson is the one that's teaching the course. Um, and we have two left. One, um, you know, the one in... in this is Growing Agriculture. in North Platte, December 4th and 5th. And then in Kimball on December 14th and 15th. All right. Thanks so much. And for details on that as well, you can visit ruralradio.com. Randy Sainer, Extension Educator, talking to us today about... Those calving workshops, cost of production workshops coming up here in December. Again, more details can be found at RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska's search for a new head football coach is underway. Last night, ESPN's lead college football announcer Chris Fowler tweeted that a deal that sends Scott Frost back to Nebraska has already been done for a while. Now, the school has not confirmed that report, and any details about the vacant position likely won't be confirmed until Frost coaches Central Florida in Saturday's American Athletic Conference championship game. Tennessee Athletic Director John Curry is defending the process of his coaching search and vouching for the character of Greg Schiano. one day after negotiations between the two parties broke down amid a public backlash. Curry issued a statement today acknowledging that the Ohio State defensive coordinator was the leading candidate. Curry says Tennessee carefully interviewed and vetted Schiano. Now the former Rutgers and NFL coach received the highest recommendations. The school and Schiano were close to an agreement yesterday before that deal fell apart after a protest on campus and complaints on social media from fans, state representatives, and even gubernatorial candidates. Kansas coach David Beatty will get at least another season despite winning just one game during his third year. Beatty also has just three wins total with the Jayhawks and just one against a fellow Bull subdivision foe. But as the school tries to drum up support for more than $300 million in facility upgrades, athletic director Sean Zanger believes Beatty is the right man to lead that program. Well, the Husker volleyball team was selected as a fifth overall seed for the NCAA tournament and will host the NCAA tournament first and second rounds at the Devaney Center this weekend. Now, Nebraska claimed a share of its second straight Big Ten title on Saturday. In a season that was expected to be a rebuilding year, head coach John Cook feels that was quite an accomplishment. Last year we went 18-2 and and won the conference. This year we went 19-1. and And uh, to do this over 10 weeks, playing on the road, home matches, that I think it's the one that may be the hardest thing to do and accomplish in college volleyball. So if you'd asked me in August, would we be having this conversation tonight, I'm not sure I would have believed you. The Huskers will open up the tournament on Friday against Stony Brook. The 4.30 Central match that day has Washington State against Florida State. Now the two winners from Friday will score off at 7 Central time on Saturday. The Huskers just missed out on a top-four national seed. 
and the four-time defending Big East champion Creighton volleyball team. They're headed to the NCAA tournament for the sixth straight time and the seventh overall. They earn the number nine national seed. They'll host Coastal Carolina on Friday. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Sunny skies today with highs around 75 in the east and a little cooler in the central and west. I'm Dave Schroeder. Governor Pete Ricketts today watched as the new Choose Life license plate was unveiled. Lieutenant Governor Mike Foley and State Senator Dan Watermeyer, as well as representatives from the University of Nebraska, Lincoln, Students for Life, and Bethlehem House, along with other groups, were on hand. This is a big deal because this is the first pro-life bill that we have passed in the legislature since 2011. And you can see the way that we reflect our pro-life values here in Nebraska. It's how we treat each other with dignity and respect. It's how we give back to our communities of our time, our talent, and our treasure, to our churches and our schools. The specialty plate will be made available for purchase as an alternative to the state's standard license plate starting in January of next year. Authorities say they're looking for an inmate who escaped from the Adams County Jail. The inmate ran from the jail around 5 p.m. Sunday as he was being transferred from one holding area to another. Deputy Kevin Mauck says two jailers were taking 27-year-old Jordan Latta from a basement holding area in the county courthouse to the main holding cells on the third floor. They were using a public elevator because the secured elevator normally used for inmate transfers is out of service. Authorities say Latta bolted out of the jailer's custody and ran down a public hallway and out of the building. He'd been arrested last week on a theft charge. A judge has forwarded for trial the criminal case against the Lancaster County Treasurer, who is accused of selling cars without a dealer's license and filing fraudulent tax returns. The case against Andy Stebbing was sent to Lancaster County District Court last week. Stebbing's attorney had said prosecutors filed unnecessarily strong charges. Instead, state officials should have notified Stebbing of problems with his tax returns before charging him with felonies. But prosecutors have said the evidence showed Stebbing was selling vehicles as a business without a dealer's license. Researchers in Kansas and China are using mathematical modeling to improve the process of converting wheat straw into pellets for the production of ethanol. Wheat straw, the plant residue left after wheat harvest, is abundant in Kansas. Researchers in Kansas and China are using mathematical modeling to improve the process of converting wheat straw into pellets for the production of ethanol. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it for free in the App Store or Google Play. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. As the harvest season comes to a conclusion across the Midwest, many of us are putting the equipment away for the year. Many people are heading back inside to take a look at some of the cutting-edge research and tools they can use on their operation in the next growing season. One of those tools are drones. Good afternoon on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskit. One farmer near Falls City used drones to test nitrogen applications. Joining me more to discuss that project is Laura Thompson. She's an extension educator from Falls City. And so, Laura, just to begin this conversation, let's talk about the project. What, what happened with these drones and how did you use them? Right. So in this project, we're really looking at 
applying part of the nitrogen before the growing season, but then waiting to apply the rest of the nitrogen until during the growing season so that we can be more responsive to the crop conditions. And so how we're going about that is we're using drones or UAVs to fly over the field repeatedly during the early part of the growing season and really assess the crop condition. So we have sensors that are mounted on the drone that allow us to see into the near-infrared spectrum, which allows us to see more than what we can normally see with our eyes and really detect some crop stress and crop nitrogen needs before it's even visible to our eyes. So before we're seeing the crop, the corn crop turn yellow, we're able to detect it using that near-infrared portion of the spectrum with those sensors. So from that, then we are using that data to go in and make variable rate nitrogen prescriptions to apply nitrogen during the season where it's needed for the crop um, in those areas more. And then in areas where the crop isn't needing as much, we can reduce the application and be more efficient with our nitrogen application. Laura, talk about the kind of sensors that you have to put on these drones in order to measure the things that you were discussing. It's not stock on a uh, drone. It doesn't come with it, but this is a very high-tech sensor. Talk about that. So sensors that we're more familiar with, like a typical camera that you might find on your cell phone, is going to look at the red, green, and blue portion of the spectrum, and that's what we see, and that's what we would consider a normal or true color picture, and that's what we're used to looking at. So with these sensors, we're looking at that red, green, and blue part of the spectrum, but then we're also looking beyond that into what we call the red edge and near-infrared band. And so by looking at those, we're able to pick up different signatures from the crop that are reflected in those bands that we don't see with our eyes because we don't see into the near-infrared spectrum. And so with all of that, tell us about some of the results that you were having over this past growing season. What were you able to see and how was that able to affect kind of the end result? So far, it's been very positive. We're in the first year of doing this study. We'll continue it again next year with two more field sites. Uh, But in this first year of the study, we were able to apply a couple different base rates of anhydrous early in the season and then go in and apply our variable rate prescription based on that drone imagery. And what we saw was that the crop was able to really, um, the differences that we were seeing based on those sensors, we were able to reduce those differences after we applied nitrogen, which is a really good indication that we were able to effectively recover the crop. Uh, So sometimes people really worry that if there's any stress out there that we're not, um, the crop won't be able to recover and reach its full yield potential. And so what we were seeing is that By detecting it so early, we're able to apply the nitrogen, the crop uh, differences are able to be recovered, and we're seeing no yield loss. So um, we've compared those different nitrogen treatments, this in-season approach, to the traditional farmer management approach. And compared to that, we've been able to save about 25 pounds of nitrogen this year. Um, It's been cost-effective, even though there's a little bit higher cost of an in-season or variable rate having that second application, and then seeing no yield reduction compared to the farmer's traditional management. So it sounds like you've had some positive results using these drones in this application. Talk about for a moment how big you think this drone industry in agriculture can get. Yeah, so there is a lot of interest right now in all the different ways we can utilize this technology. Um, And There's a a wide variety of applications, really. One of the most immediate benefits that I think people will be able to see is just being able to get up above the crop and detect patterns that you can't see on the ground 
and also detecting um, variations in the field that maybe aren't visible, especially later in the year when a crop scout may not be able to get out into a cornfield uh, very far or make as much, you know, cover as much of a field as earlier in the growing season when they're on a four-wheeler. So being able to get up above the crop and get a good assessment of the entire field and maybe target some areas that they need to scout on foot that they wouldn't know, you know, maybe some, some hot spots or issues that may, may exist out there. So I think that's one very immediate benefit and doesn't necessarily require any additional um, intensive processing or special sensors. Um, just getting up above the crop can realize some immediate benefits. Um, there's, of course, other applications such as creating prescription maps for nitrogen, um, assessing irrigation needs and looking for irrigation issues. We've also seen people looking at this for identifying weed issues in the field, maybe uh, areas where weed control is not as good. Um, and then within on-farm research, when people are testing different, different products or practices on their field, having some imagery of that can really help identify what's going on in the field during the season before we get to the point of collecting yield on that field. Certainly a fascinating topic, Laura, as we take a look at drones and using them for on-farm research. If you'd like to read more about this topic, you can log on to cropwatch.unl.edu and search for drones in the search tab. That was Laura Thompson. She's an extension educator based out of Fall City, Nebraska. I'm Bryce Duskin. This is the Rural Radio Network. Now for a review of those livestock futures trades, here's Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Yeah, what a positive day to, uh, today. Good way to start the week. Uh, positive on uh, cattle, feeders, and hogs. Start with the cattle. Uh, we started out mixed and uh, traded lower for a little while, and then uh, all of a sudden, boom, we started to rally, and uh, that rally continued. Uh, didn't notice any, uh, any huge uh, uh, fun buying, but uh, I think there was some in there, and uh, that helped uh, keep things going throughout the day the uh, didn't hear of any uh, real cash trade but i think a lot uh, coming off of last uh, week uh, a lot of talk about uh, uh, need for uh, uh, the meat just beef pork uh, for the holidays uh, coming up and uh, being christmas and new year so uh, that was a lot of the idea behind uh, some of the rally in both the cattle and the hogs we, try, we end up with uh, some triple-digit gains out of the uh, cattle and out of the feeders uh, uh, today, so uh, pretty pretty good start. Cutouts at noon were uh, lower on the choice on a pretty light test, but uh, that didn't seem to deter uh, the friendliness. In the hogs, uh, the uh, cutouts a little higher at noon. Cash seemed uh, steady, maybe just a little bit softer, but uh, considering uh, everything, uh, I, I think uh, just a positive attitude toward the hogs, a lot of technical buying uh, showing up there. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at 800-328-0134. Today's cattle slaughter estimated at 118,000, 2,000 less than last Monday. Hog slaughter, 445,000, 14,000 less than last Monday. Sheep producers, 
set to gather in Texas. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The annual American Sheep Industry Association's convention will get underway in San Antonio, Texas on Wednesday, January 31st. It'll run through Saturday the 3rd. Peter Ulrich is executive director of ASI. But our annual meeting will get 500 uh, producer leaders from the sheep industry gathered up. And part of it is to, to hear where we're at on policy issues from uh, formulating the farm bill in, uh, in the U.S. Congress uh, to legislation that governs uh, the foreign egg workers that we bring in to herd sheep in this country. So a lot of great issues. Let's look at the farm bill. What aspect of the farm bill is the sheep industry interested in? We work primarily on risk management, so we, we're, uh, we're asking Congress to renew risk management that we have for the lamb industry, and we have a wool program that's also risk management, so we're asking Congress to update that. So if you do have a market that falls apart, there's something there that producers and their bankers can work with. So those are two of the uh, key pieces on the financial side. The other piece we're asking for is permanent funding for a pharmaceutical program for developing and labeling drugs for sheep health. There is not a lot out there and a lot of options for sheep producers. And that's where I think it's probably one of the most exciting things we're doing in the Farm Bill is we have a we have a network of university researchers uh, as well as companies that are involved uh, that can expedite labeling and research for drugs uh, but they need some they need some funding through USDA and that's one of our key asks of the Congress in this Farm Bill. Immigration and, and the work that's done within the industry is very important as well because we know that we need everybody to be able to help to continue to get this industry to grow like it has. Labor is a key part, it's, you know, for every operation, regardless of the size or their location in the country. For the sheep industry nationally, we have over a third of the nation's ewes are cared for day in and day out by a foreign sheep herder, uh, typically Mexico, Peru, um, where they originate from. And we do it all in uh, under the H-2A program. Um, this past month, we worked on legislation that passed the House Judiciary Committee uh, that would redo the guest worker program for agriculture. And I believe we've got half a dozen references specific to the sheep industry in that bill. That is great news for the sheep industry to know that you guys are there to continue to advocate for them in Washington, D.C. That's exactly right. And, and, and we try to do it as a coalition. So we have organizations that that's what they do in our business is line up the H-2A program and help the producers uh, with the workers and the regulations. Uh, so we visit with them and then we go to Congress and uh, put it together for a united voice in the legislative front. I guarantee this is going to be some topics that folks are going to talk about at convention in January? That's exactly right. Plus, it's the opportunity. We've invited, uh, you know, uh, key members of Congress. We've invited the USDA and Department of Interior officials. So we believe it's going to be our first real opportunity to expose the new administration officials to the sheep industry. I was just at the U.S. Meat Export Federation meeting last week, and their incoming chairman is all about the lamb industry. He stepped out of it personally a year, but he's really touting the need to continue to increase that export opportunity for American lamb. It, it, is, it, is, it is exciting with, uh, with Dr. Stifler as, uh, as chair, and actually with uh, Dan uh, come, you know, as the new, uh, new executive director, uh, he and, and uh, Dr. Stifler both uh, talk about the lamb industry included. Comments with Peter Arwick. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Let's start off with uh, wheat futures again, contract lows. Spring wheat looks like it led the way lower. Yeah, spring wheat, so you're, you're seeing a, uh, just kind of an exodus of the speculative money that's on the long side. Longs have to be out of December futures contracts by Friday, really more by Wednesday, but Thursday being first notice day, you'll start to get those lineups for delivery on Friday, and I think you're seeing some avoidance of that, given that we really haven't seen the global market rally uh, sufficiently, I think, to keep uh, uh, the U.S. away from having to, to post some deliveries here, because I think there will be some demand for product, but it's probably going to be below $4, which is where it's been the last couple of rotations down here, so... For me, I like being short into the uh, middle part of the week, but I think there's some opportunity here on July where uh, you could possibly see July futures, you know, below 450. That would be a good value for the wheat. Did this morning's export inspections signify that there would be a, a drop in these wheat futures? Not so much. You know, the delivery points of... I'd like to think there's some optimism here on acreage and some future supply numbers, but actual physical demand for products right now just isn't there. And you're kind of rotating here at the corn. I mean, you're seeing that similar story where you're getting pressure put on the end user, or I'm sorry, the, the supplier, which is the farmer right now, holding physical supply on what they're going to do with that, that, amount, that product. They either have to pay to store it, store it on farm, or deliver it. And I think, you know, given that we're, uh, you know, coming on a, off a pretty good harvest here, I'd imagine seeing delivery being a choice that a lot of folks are taking. I look for prices to probably go back down to where they were a week ago. I don't think we have much more below, say, 335 December. But, uh, you know, like I said, I think anywhere sub 450 July KC futures, anywhere sub 350 March corn futures, I think those are good levels that are going to stand up over the, over the longer run. I think short term here, you might have to face some, a little bit of heartburn, but I just can't imagine there's not much downside from here. John, what happened and what helped, I should say, soybean futures today? Well, again, the ins- the inspections are good, but they're they're not really as good as we'd like them to see. Um, the fund money that's kind of poured into c- the cotton markets and some of these other outside markets over the last couple of months has reflected higher prices in soybeans. So, from a fundamental perspective, you kind of have some reasons for the market to be lower. Uh, rains in Argentina, um, you know, kind of the story in Brazil being pretty good so far, combined with an export story in the U.S. that hasn't really uh, been up to snuff. But you have kind of some speculative money that's flowing into these commodities, and that thing's what's pushing the bean market right now. Thanks for the comments. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Corn finished the day 3 to 3.5 lower, soybeans 2 to 3 higher. Kansas City wheat futures 6 and 3 quarters to 7 and a quarter lower. I'm Dewey Nelson.